Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, we're going to play some Zonk. Who here knows what Zonk is? Who here doesn't know what Zonk is? Good. So what's going to happen is you're going to see these kids, and we're going to see a battle of wits to see if they remember what they've studied the last 13 weeks. So we need half of you on that side. We need half of you here. That means a number, not like half of your body. Ready, so we need a team A and a team B. So go ahead, move. So what's going to happen is we're going to ask them questions. And they're going to answer those questions. And if they get it right, they got to spin the wheel. If they land on points, they win points. If they land on zonk, they lose everything. All right. So we have team A and we have team B. All right. So Bobby, are we ready with our first question? We are Am I on? There we are. Question number one, friends. Numero uno. God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to choose the next king based on A, who was best looking, B, who was the smartest, C, who loved God with all his heart, or D, who was the strongest. You've got 10 seconds. Team B. She says who loved God with all of his heart. Is she correct, Dave? And the answer is C, which is also Spanish for yes. <laughs> Shy, come on up and give the wheel a spin. Shine, 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 shine. 2,000 points. All right. Oh, that's team A. <laughs> Team A, Team B. Here we go. We're good. Yes, yes. That's good. All right, question number two. Numero dos. True or false, David became king over all of Israel right after being anointed. True or false, who's got the answer first? Team B, anyone? True or false? Ruby. She says it's true. Is she correct? Let's check. False. God made King David king many years after he was anointed. Uh, Good try. Good try. All right. Question number three. Yes, give it up. Give it up. Numero tres. True or false again? Jonathan wanted to kill David because he didn't want David to be king. Team A. Jairus. You think that's true? Is he correct? False. Even though Jonathan was next in line to be king, he protected David from his father, Saul, because Saul is the one who wanted to kill him, right? All right. Good try. Good try. Question number four. Numero four. How did Jonathan give a secret message to protect David? A, 
he shot arrows. B, he sent a letter uh, via a spy. C, he played a secret song. Or D, he wrote the message in code on a rock. Ruby, he shot arrows. Let's find out. A, he shot Yay. arrows. Good All job, right, Ruby. Ruby. Come spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Ruby, oh, the other way. Ruby, Ruby. 1,000 points Woo! for Ruby. So the Next score is 2,000 to 1,000. May the Zwarts be with you. <laughs> question number five. What is one way God showed himself to be Yahweh, the most high God in the big God story? You've learned many examples. What is one where he demonstrated himself to be the Lord most high? Eliza. The fire coming down from heaven? Is that one of the answers? Yes, he also parted the Red Sea. He sent plagues. He parted the Jordan River and the Ten Commandments. And yes, he showed himself as fire, right, on the altar against the prophets of Baal. You are correct. Come spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. <laughs> round and round we go. 2,000 points. All right. Question number six. Numero seis. On Mount Carmel, how did God prove he is the most high God? Ooh, we just, Ooh. you should know this. Team B? Team B, do you know? Anyone? He sent fire from heaven, answered Elijah's prayers, showed that he was real, and Baal wasn't, or D, all of the above. Do, 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 do. Ezra, you look like you want to answer. Do you know? A, B, or C, or D? You want to look at the screen? You think it's A? He a. said fire from heaven? So Let's... is it is it Mount Carmel or Mount Car Caramel? It depends if you're hungry or not. <laughs> All right, so A, final answer? Hold on, hold on. Give him a chance. I'm sorry. So which of those answers, A, B, C, or D? You want the angel or the fire, Ezra? The angel? Let's see. Is he correct? Let's see. Answer is D. It was all of the above. So you were partly correct. It was a correct. good try. That's what you're going to answer? Ezra, come on up and spin the wheel. That was part of the answer. Come on up. Oh, yeah. 2,500. All right. Good job. So now it's neck and neck at 4,000 to 3,500. Question number seven going to Team A. True or false, Team A? Elisha. Sha. Not ja. Not ja. Sha. 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 Had the power to heal Naaman from his leprosy. True or false? Savior. Ooh. Ooh. He says, trick question. God did. Let's find I'm gonna out. Give him, 
that class. All right, come on up and spin. I like that answer. <laughs> round and round we go. Where we stop, nobody knows. Ooh, oh. 100. Hey, but, but that answer was worth a million in my book. Yes, it was. Excellent. All right. Team B, this is going to go to you. Team Question B. Question number eight, true or false? Naaman was an Israelite. Ooh, true or false? Anybody know? Abby, do you know? True or false? Was he an Israelite? She says she false. She says false. Let's see. commander of Aram, one of the Israelites' biggest enemies. So Naaman's healing, uh, through Naaman's healing, God showed that he loves everyone and that he alone is the Lord of life. Abby, come on up and come spin on up the and wheel. Spin. And as she spins, just remember when they said, hey, are you an Israelite? He's like, nah, man. How many points? Uh, 1,000 points. Team B All is right. now in the lead. All right, Team A, question number nine. God showed mercy in the story of Jonah and the giant fish by A, letting the people of Nineveh repent, B, sending a giant fish to save Jonah from drowning, C, giving Jonah shade through a miraculous plant, D, all the above. Aubrey. D. She D says D, all, all the, the above. above. Survey says. Yes, D. correct. Come on up and spin the wheel. No. Oh. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, man. 4,100 points gone. Wow. Bummer. It's kind of like our economy. It just go and it's gone. <laughs> All right, so final question. Question number 10. Whoever answers it first, team A or B? What did Nehemiah want to build in Jerusalem? Starbucks. Not Starbucks. How about A, the temple, B, the palace, C, his home, or D, the walls of the city? I saw Ruby's hand first. Ruby. She the says walls. the walls of the city. Is she correct? Yes, D. Woo! Break it down. Yes, the walls of the city offer protection to his people, preventing Spin attack the from wheel. invading armies. Round and round we go. 500. 500 points for a total of? 5,000 points for Team B. Team A, a noble effort. Let's give it up for Team B. Thank you very much. Good job, everybody. Team A, I'm going to give you guys 20 rocks for your jar just for participating. All right, 20 rocks. Does that sound good? All right. All right, great job, kids. Thank you all for participating. We now hand it over to Chase with something to ink about. <laughs> good morning. How's everyone doing tonight, this morning? I don't know where that came from. And uh, I guess uh, it's awesome, awesome for us to be able to gather family uh, Sunday to see the kids with us, play some uh, Bible story games. Uh, it's really cool to see um, we have a church that, that cares about each generation. And um, 
this morning, Pastor Brian asked for me to kind of share about uh, the next generation. So that kind of, I guess, goes from, you know, the, the high school, junior high age, as well as our, our college age, um, young adults. And uh, if you don't know, we have a young adults ministry called The Crossing. Just want to plug that real quick. We have an event coming up on the 12th. The 12th, did I have that date right? The 12th? Yeah, so next Saturday, um, look at the Church Center app uh, for details on that. It's uh, at Panera. It, uh, it's going to be awesome. Invite your friends. Come on out. Uh, so that's my little plug to those who are in uh, college and just out of college. So from 18 to 25, I uh, just want to invite you to, to come be a part of that. Um, so uh, as Ken, I was praying about this week, what, what to speak about, um, there, there's a couple things that, that came to mind um, and uh, two things, really, that I believe if we grab hold of that, it'll change our lives. And I'm not just speaking to those who are considered youth or young adults. This is really applicable to all of us. Um, and that's kind of what's awesome about the gospel, about the word of God, is that it applies to all of us no matter where we are um, in, in whatever phase of life we have. And I want to read a passage. A lot of you may know this passage. It's Second Timothy, and it's chapter 1, verse 9. I'm sorry, five through nine. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us by a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is granted to us in Christ Jesus from, for all eternity. So when I read that, it was kind of interesting for me anyways, like a lot of times growing up in church, especially when I was in youth group and all that, we'd hear that passage about, um, you know, fanning the flame of, of that which, uh, you know, the giftings and what God has laid on us and, and our faith. Um, but in, in light of uh, being Family Sunday, I was thinking about this, how Paul talks about to Timothy saying, you know, your grandmother and your mother, they were, they were mighty women of God and they, they instilled faith in you. And I, I built that faith into you. I, I challenged you. I, I discipled you. I trained you up. But it's, it's on you now. It's not a matter of uh, going off of someone else's faith. And so I, I would say that for, for all of us today, like, it's not dependent upon Pastor Brian or Thrive Church to carry you from Sunday to Sunday. It's not about, um, for you little ones, it's not about your mom and dad's faith or, or whether you're, you know, one of, one of the, the students in youth. It's about owning that. And something that really God has challenged me with, especially as of late, is I've been praying more and more, God, would you captivate my heart? It's more than, oh, God, I'm sorry I screwed up again. I don't want to do the bad things. And that's good for us to be like, God, I don't want to be sinning. I don't want to fall into this trap. I don't want to, to do this or that. But it's saying, God, I want you to captivate my heart. Because there's something about when God captivates our heart, Man, it causes us to change. I mean, our actions change. I mean, those of us who've, who are married or, or whether you've, 
you're a bit younger and you're like, man, I'm in love. It's easy to do things for that other person. It's easy to serve them because you're just like, your heart's just all wound up into that. And, and yes, some of that's just all the feelings and emotions early on. But like I get up every morning at 20 to 4 and I hate it every day. I mean, who, who likes getting up that early? Like, really, the sun's not even up yet for a few hours. And I get up, and when my alarm hits every morning, I'm like, oh, God, I really don't want to get up. I really don't want to go to work. But I do for two main reasons. I'm sitting right over here. I got Charlie and Ezra. Man, I get up every morning and get my butt to work because I love them, and I want to provide and take care of them. And so my heart for them, my love for them, overrides my desire to want to stay in bed in the warmth of my bed, especially in these Chicago winters, when it's 70 one day and 40 the next, and they're talking snow this week. You're like, what is going on, right? I'm like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to leave my house. I don't want to go anywhere. But I get up because the love I have for them, my heart for them, it, they've captivated my heart. And so I'm going to do what I got to do. As a father, as a husband, I do those. I make that hard choice. I'm going to get up. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give. I'm going to go. I'm going to do. It's the same with our relationship with Christ. It's the same with those that we love. When we, our hearts are so captivated, we're willing to go the extra mile. We're willing to do those things. And those sins, those, those hang-ups that we have, no matter what it is, those addictions, I'm telling you, man, if you allow God to capture your heart, those things can change. Those things that you were bound by in sin, Christ breaks those chains off of you through the power of his love. It is, it is amazing. And I said there's two things that I wanted to share about um, in regards to that is, is, yes, owning your faith and asking God to captivate your heart. But the second thing is this, and it's found in Matthew. It's actually Jesus' response the Pharisees were asking him, trying to trip him up, saying, what's, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And his response was this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. So this morning, I wore my, purposely, I wore my duck commander hat because, uh, I wanted to speak about Phil Robertson. Anybody Duck Commander, Duck Dynasty fans out there, right? I know Alan, he's not, Alan's not such a big fan, but that's all right. I still love you, brother. Um, it's all right. I, I love, like, the whole Robertsons. I look like I could be adopted into their family, right? I'm, uh, I'm growing my hair back out again, so who knows? I'll look more like them as that grows out again. But uh, what's, what's neat is I, I listen to a bunch of different podcasts throughout the week, and... Uh, and, and so one of them is, is the Robertsons have a few different podcasts, but one in particular is called Unashamed. And, um, and Phil in particular, he, he's always talking about it. He's like, man, people complicate life so much. They complicate scripture. They complicate living a, a Christian life. He goes, it's really two simple things. And it's the answer that Jesus gave. It's to love God and love people. He goes, that's all it is. He's like, we get all mixed up in all these different things. He's like, if we just do those two, it, it'll, all be, it'll, it'll, it'll all be so much easier for us. And so my advice to you this morning, and I kind of got some of this from like what he's been, been saying, but, uh, but uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't sit down and actually memorize scripture, which is an interesting fact about 
Phil Robertson. This is a dude who had a crazy story who, I mean, was um, just totally the opposite of what you would picture a man of God should live. And God got a hold of his life and completely transformed him. But he, he's never one who sat down and was like, okay, I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to learn this Bible verse and this, that, and the other. And those are good things. I'm not talking against it. I know our, our kids have uh, memory verses that they study, and that's good. And, and I'm not negating any of that. But the man literally, he spent so much time reading the word over and over. It literally like oozes out of him. I've been listening to all these interviews because he's got a new book that just came out. And it's like practically every answer the guy gives it's literally like quoting or reading from his Bible. They're like, well, what do you say about this or that? And he's just like, opens it up and he just starts street read. And these aren't like necessarily all Christian uh, interviews that he's doing or with media companies or whoever, news, whatever, uh, during this book tour he's doing. He's like just reading scripture them, quoting scripture or, or paraphrasing pretty close to accurate because he's so ingrained in the word. And, and, um, to me, that just spoke so much. Like, God, am I in your words so much that it just, it like oozes out of me? Does that direct my life, how I live? Because I, I, I can let things get so complicated, but it comes down to that simple fact of, am I going to live for, for the Lord with everything I have? Am I going to allow his heart to become my heart and change with everything that I am, everything that I do? So to all the, the, the youth and even the, the college age, uh, or college age, I don't know, what, we, you guys aren't students, I don't know, just the, the, young, the younger, young adults, I guess, um, my, my challenge is this for, for all you guys. More than trying to be an influencer, more than trying to be, you know, big on social media and have a ton of followings and worrying about what people say of you or trying to have the biggest, most successful business or if you want to go into ministry, have the biggest ministry, biggest church, whatever it is, I challenge you this. Keep it simple. Get married, yes. <laughs> Get married, raise your kids, and live a simple life. I know it's, it may seem cliche or coming from left field in that, but if we want to change this world, more than trying to be an influencer on social media, more than trying to have this big successful business or whatever it is, if you do those things, man, that's how we can revolutionize this world. We look at the craziness of, of our society and war going on, and, and we have from diseases and earthquakes and all sorts of stuff going on all over the world. And you're like, man, God, what is going on? If we want to change this world, if you, young person, want to change this world, you start in your home. And you decide, it's for me, for my life. I mean, as I, you grow up, you get married, you raise kids, you just keep that simple and you follow after God and you teach them. Man, that's how we change this world. There's one family, one person at a time. God can use those other things. You can be successful in business and in life. But if you're not successful in your home and raising them to know the Lord, Love the Lord. It ain't going to mean squat. When I was a, a youth pastor years ago, I used to talk about Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. And at the time, I happened to have been working at Apple. And I said, that man is awesome. He's done a great, a lot of great things with technology. I mean, he's literally changed the entire world with, you know, iPhones and iPads and computers and stuff. I said, but without Jesus, 
it's, it means squat. It's nothing. This is just fun toys and all that. But without Christ, I mean, it's going to be nothing. So we have a, a, an easier life. At the end of the day, if we're separated from, from God, what's the whole point? So I challenge you to, to love God with every ounce of your being. Ask God to captivate you. Captivate your heart. And, and don't get caught up in all the details, but keep it simple to love God and love one another. And that's, that's just what I want to share with you guys. And now we're going to have Rikert, Rickert Zelameda. Sorry, that's an inside joke. Uh, come on up. He's going to share as well. Thanks, Chase. Is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. Man. Oh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> this Sunday is great, isn't it? so nice when we got to all kind of worship together, right? All the kids up front. This is an idea. This is like a new idea. We didn't try this before, having all the kids here up front. I don't know why we didn't before, because this is great. Um, it's a small portion of what we do as a church, how we live as a church, as a community of Christ followers, right? I think Thrive is, we kind of, we love how creative we can get with the way we do church, the way we do life together, right? When the pandemic first hit, we pivoted so quickly, right? Kimmy and Eric opened up the basement to us. We streamed. If you don't know, we streamed in their basement for like, what, a good two months? Something? Eric has lost count of the weeks that we were there. It seemed like forever ago, right? And then when, uh, when different events kind of forced us out of our space, because if you don't know, we are renting. We don't own this building. We don't own this gym. And so when different events have, you know, have booked this space the same day, the same time that we do, we have to pivot, right? We've done outdoor services. We've, uh, we've done home church services like last week, right? We've pivoted and gotten creative as a community of believers, right? We have great events that serve our community, right? We do single mom Sundays where we serve the single moms in our communities. We have RFK that serves kids who are neglected and abused in the foster care system. So many different things that even go unspoken as you individual members of Thrive serve your community, serve your contexts. And even in the midst of all those things, though, I think we all can admit that sometimes the local church can be messy. The local church can be a messy Messy place. We've all been hurt. Sadly, sometimes that's come from those within the church. Sometimes maybe even church leadership. Right? If I asked for a show of hands this morning, who of you, don't raise your hands, if I asked. If I asked for a show of hands, who has been hurt by someone in the church, or in church leadership, or a whole church, I guarantee you all of us would have our hands raised. Maybe right now you're thinking back to that season, that moment in life where you felt like you were stabbed in the back by someone who should not have been stabbing you in the back. Someone who caused immense pain and hurt. Maybe even question your place in that community of faith. We've all been there. Right, and this, this pandemic season has kind of exacerbated that. It's made that even worse, right? It's highlighted and demonstrated the messiness, but also the beauty of the local church. 
right? Think back, especially to the beginning. People disagreed about how to do church in light of all the things that were changing in terms of, of mandates, in terms of, of what we were finding out about how to, how to avoid this thing and, and how to do church well. People disagreed, and sometimes vehemently, with churches, church leadership, right? Camps were created, hierarchies were built, right? You're not a true Christian if you choose to do this action. If you choose to shut down your church, you're not a faithful Christian. Or if you choose to continue church, you're not loving your neighbor, right? It came from both sides. And then we started building hierarchies, levels of maturity, of spiritual maturity or faithfulness to the gospel mission based on what people's decisions were in terms of church leadership. For some, this season became an excuse to make an exit out of the church silently. How many of you can think of a person or maybe multiple people who when everything shut down, And then everything kind of slowly started opening up again. Just never made it back to church. Never made it back to the community of faith. For others, virtual church became a reality, right? And it's great, again, that we were able to pivot in in the middle of all that, right? And right now, we're still going with with a live streaming um, option, right? For people who, who are sick or whatnot, they can still gather with us and worship in that way. And that's great. But for a lot of people, that became the, the new reality. And sometimes that was understandable, right? Some people are immunocompromised. They want to play it a little bit more safe. That's, that's fine. That's why we have that option there, right? I, I, if you don't know, I work full-time as an admissions counselor for, for a Christian college. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people. One of the things that we ask is, are you plugged into a local church uh, attending services there regularly. I can't tell you how many people have answered no to that question. And then obviously that you know, prompts the question, oh, why not? And they tell me, well, it's because my church shut down. We didn't have the funds to keep paying rent. Or I'm immunocompromised. I've got no other choice but to stay home. Otherwise, I could literally die. For some, that became the new Reality and, and virtual church live streaming options are their only connection point to a local body. And what's great about it is I hear stories as well of how churches have pivoted with that aspect. Even though they, you know, some pastors know, okay, these few members are only able to make it and join us virtually through our live stream. But you know what? I'm going to make it a point to visit them once a week or every few days to make them feel like they're connected, to remind them that they are still connected to the body. Right, churches pivot. For others, it was streaming together in small groups like we did last week, right, in in home churches. Finding new ways to live out a Christian community in our season, in our context right now. But I think and I hope that the majority of us would agree that those things, those ways that we pivoted and got creative with the way we did church can never replace the gathering of the local church. But why should we care about the local church? That's, that's what Brian, Pastor Brian asked me to kind of talk about. Why should we care about something that 
for a lot of people, has been a source of pain, has been a source of hurt. Why should we care about something that is, is led by men and women who are trying to do their best, but fail often, fail over and over again by men and women who make mistakes? Why should we care about that community? Why should we care about the local church? I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at verses 12 through 27. I'm going to give you a second to, to pull that up on your phones. I, sorry, guys, I didn't tell you guys in the, ahead of time to put it on the screen, but 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 7. 12 through 27. We're not going to read backwards. <laughs> Starting verse 12. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable or less important, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul here is talking to the, the church in the city of Corinth about, really he's talking about spiritual gifts. People started building camps around, oh, you know, you've got this spiritual gift. Oh, this is more important than that spiritual gift. And they started ranking people, right, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. And he's addressing this problem. And he's talking about how the different spiritual gifts that God gives to the church ought to unite their church, not divide them or create any levels of spiritual maturity. And I think Paul's words help us to answer the question I raised. Why should we care about the local church? For one, it's because God arranged it. Look again at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he 
chose. Right, if it's important to him, then it should be important to us. Right, if we call God our Father, and we are changed to look more and more like him, his wants, his desires, should slowly and surely become what we want, what we desire. The things that are important to him become important to us. The things that disgust him, like, I don't know, sin, should start disgusting us even more. And this is one of those things that is important to God. All right, think back. It's the basis of Paul's command to the husbands in the church of Ephesus to love their wives. Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved who? Loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a tall order. That's a deep love. That's a deep sacrificial love. Would you say maybe that God holds the church as very important in his eyes? And you might be saying, you know, Paul's talking about the universal church there, Riker. And yes, yeah, that's correct. I would agree with you at that point. But what is the local church if not a microcosm of the universal church? Right? So we should care about the local church because it's a picture of, a representation of, a symbol of, connected to the universal church. When I talk about the universal church, that means the the church everywhere, Christians in Africa, in Asia, in all different parts of the world, we unite with them. And this gathering that we have on Sunday mornings in this gym is a small picture of the reality that is a global, that is a universal one. And I love how Paul here plays with the kind of group and individual dynamic, right? When he says, you, you are, um, in verse 18, God arranged the members uh, of them as he chose. Um, Let me scroll back here. In verse 27, when he says, now you are the body of Christ, he's not talking an individual you. That's not a singular you. It's lost in English translations, but that's plural. That means he's talking to the group of Christians there. All of you are the body of Christ. But then he switches and, and singles out. Individually, though, you are all members of it. And he plays with that group individual dynamic. Right, a tree, if I'm going to offer an illustration, a tree is united by a trunk, right? It's all connected, but it's made up of hundreds of branches. And those branches have, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of leaves. You can have, maybe for all my cooks out there, you can have a really good, complex, like beef stew or something like that, right? Really complex flavors. You can think, you can just say stew and it's like the dish, the bowl of stew. But what is that stew made up of? Made up of multiple ingredients. You've got potatoes. You've got, I don't know, I'm blanking here. Carrots. Carrots. You got greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes. Anybody get that reference? No? Okay, that's fine. It's got many ingredients. You can have a single book, but it may have hundreds, maybe thousands of pages in between the front and the back cover. Right? A conductor can can direct a single united orchestra, but what is that orchestra made out of? Musicians playing different instruments at different levels, different pitches, different sounds. We don't look at one component of any one of those things and view it as the whole thing, right? 
And in the same way, the universal church is not just the collection of all Christians at all times, but it's grounded in the individual smaller communities of Christians. It's grounded in that reality. It's inescapable. So, if Christ considers the universal church important, then by extension, he considers the local church as important. And if we choose to surrender our lives to him and we ask him to make us more like him, then we should consider that important. But, what about the pain that I talked about? What about the hurt that I opened with? Right? I don't ever want to minimize the pain or the hurt that you've experienced. We get it. Right? The church, as divine as it is, for some reason, God saw fit to leave it in the hands of human beings. Guided by the Holy Spirit, yes. But in the hands of human beings. Fallible, imperfect human beings. But remember that those individuals or those people are not representative of the whole of the church. Verse 26 says, if one of us suffers, we all suffer. So that means that Christians and churches who are truly surrendered to God, who are truly surrendered to Christ, go through those feelings of hurt, that pain, and that suffering with you. They hurt with you. They cry with you. But that also means that when damage is done by church leadership or churches, the church feels the weight of that damage. Right? We don't pretend like nothing happened. We confess our sins to one another like James says in James 5.16. And we correct our mistakes in a biblical and faithful way. I know the college group has heard me say this before, but we are saved and enter into, yes, a personal, individual relationship with Christ when we are saved, but we are also saved into a community. We're saved into a family. It's that individual and group dynamic that is so prevalent in all of Christian theology and all of Scripture. We are not meant to be lone wolf Christians. This idea of, oh, all I need is the Bible and me, or Jesus and me. No, no, no. At, at some level, yes, that's true. But that's, that's, like a, that's like taking one bite of an apple and then throwing it away after that bite. That's, you're missing the picture. Right? There's so much more to living the life of a Christian than just the individual relationship that you have with Jesus. It's living in community with the rest of the people who call Christ their Lord. So a faithful local church then just to bring it back to why the local church is important, why should we care? A faithful local church is a physical expression of the love of Christ. I'm going to pose a question here. How do you experience the love of Christ? Is it only an inner kind of feeling that you have? Oh, I, feel, I really feel God, God's love for me this morning. Or is it more than that? Is it that and this as well? There's a, there's a line in the musical Les Miserables. To love another person is to see the face of God. Lauren, I got a, I got a high five from Lauren, so that's good. I'm going to say that again. To love another person is to see the face of God. That's such deep theology for a musical that was you know, produced in the, in the 80s. And it's a beautiful line, and every time, this is like towards the tail end of the, of, the, of the plot of the musical, and every time I hear that, 
It gets me every time. And that's coming from a, a kind of like a secular worldview, right? It's, a, it's weird to think of Christian theology in a, in a popular musical like that. But it's very much got Christian themes throughout the whole production. But that's not a new idea, though. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was a German, um, German theologian and pastor who served during World War II. And he wrote a book called Life Together. And basically, if, if you don't know anything about Bonhoeffer, he was a, he was a young pastor. He died really young, um, early 30s, I think. But he served as a pastor, first uh, in Germany, and then he traveled to the United States, to New York, um, did some further graduate study there. But when everything went down with Hitler in, in Germany, he felt this burden. He could have stayed in America, in relative safety. He didn't need to go back to his home country. But he said, no, 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 no. My people are suffering over there. People need faithful pastors to lead them. You don't know, Germany, Nazi had, Nazi Germany had set up basically a state church. Um, and so it controlled their theology the way they interpreted scripture, the way they did the church and ministry. And Bonhoeffer said, I am going to forsake the safety of America and go back to a dictatorship so I can better serve my people. And he ended up um, forming a small community, a small seminary to train pastors who wanted to answer the call of God faithfully to serve the German Christians. And he set up a small seminary in Finkenwalde, Germany. And he wrote this book, Life Together, during that context, in that time. And he had a similar idea. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the music got it from, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But basically, he taught that one of the clearest expressions of the love of Christ is the way that you interact with another believer. The local church in which, is the context in which we see the love of Christ expressed physically. We can feel the love of Christ internally, right? It reminds us of God's love for us. But it's expressed physically in the way that you greet one another. That's why Paul, in so many passages of Scripture, he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. The, the, the ex- physical expression of Christ's love can be seen among the body of believers. It doesn't stay internal to us, but we see it in action. Look, look around you this morning. Go ahead, take a, take a second to look around. Everyone's like afraid. It's like, who do you see? This is a rhetorical question. Don't, don't. What kind of people do you see? What backgrounds are they coming from? What generations are represented in this room? Are we all of the same socioeconomic background? No, same. Not not all of us live in Lockport, even. Look at those people in the room. And then look at verse 13 with me. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. And this is why I love Family Sundays, right? It's a reminder of that reality. 
It's a reminder that the youngest child who has surrendered to Jesus, all the way to the most senior of citizens, are united by one spirit, baptized into one body. Call one Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We're all baptized into one body. We're united under that banner. More than that, in addition to the kind of worship gathering that we have here, we also, when we gather to meet, not just on Family Sunday, but on every Sunday, we, we are united to the universal church, like I mentioned earlier, but also to the ancient church. In the Greek Orthodox branch of Christianity, there are, they, they have things called icons, basically like paintings of, of previous saints or pictures. And they might rub some of you on the wrong way. It's not a, a very common thing in, in our Protestant circles, but it's a beautiful thing that they do. It's a beautiful practice. And I talked with a Greek Orthodox priest once, and I asked him, why do you have all of these icons, these pictures of saints um, all around, plastered around the walls of your church as you, as you worship on Sunday? And he said that it's, he said something really beautiful. He said basically that it's a symbol, it's a reminder for us that when we worship, we are not only worshiping God with each other, but we are joining in generations of Christians before us. That we are celebrating and, and praising God with the Apostle Paul, with the church father Augustine, Athanasius, with Phoebe, who Paul, who Paul mentions as a deacon in one of his letters. We, we worship with all of them. They've got such a great theology of death not being a separator. We sing about it all the time, right? Death does not separate us. Death is not the final answer for us. It's a doorway into a new reality. But sometimes in our small circle of Christianity, we forget that we gather not only with these multiple generations, but we gather with a church since its inception. And we worship our God. And we sing about worshiping God and giving Him praise and honor and glory. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Oh,